I saw some, some uh, children with some glittery outfits on. I hope you have been wearing or considering wearing your glitter out in public. And when people ask you why, you say, oh, we're studying all that glitters at, at our church. I didn't realize, though, that when we began this sermon series last week, that it was the very week of all of the new 2020 glittery TV shows. Naked and Afraid, I'm sure y'all were tuning into that. Love and Hip Hop Miami, Sister Wives. But if we were to do some honesty in here, I know several of you, what you did on Monday night was watch the newest season of The Bachelor. Right? (laughs) The truth is though, if you are between the ages of about 20 and 40, you probably didn't watch live TV this past week. That generation of, of folks that were born between 1980 and 1996 who are turning 40 this year, we call them the millennials, they don't watch live TV. They are focused on gramming, which is staying in touch with social media, or gaming, which is playing video games or watching people play video games. The Gallup poll revealed in 2018 that the millennial generation are the least likely to be committed to work or to relationships long-term than any other generation before them. So do millennials fear commitment? There's a plethora of reasons why I believe this generation is as it is, but for today, I want to propose that they have something to offer all of us as an insight into how to live. As I have become close friends with folks that are of the millennial generation for the past 15 years, I've realized they are not fearful of commitment. They, they want to go all in, but they are going to be very cautious and careful about what they are committed to. So if a job does not connect with the passions of their heart, they are going to leave it, even if after only a few months, and even if that means they do not have health insurance. If a relationship is not just so, they will remain single or partnered but not married, even if that means they wait until that age when it is way past when their parents feel like they should have been married. If they do not understand or connect with the mission of a faith community, they will not join until they feel like they are connected with that faith community's mission. And to the dismay of many of the empty nesters in here, if life and work and relationships are going well, they do not feel the need to make the commitment of having children as young as the rest of the generations did before them. My favorite thing about the millennial generation and what I wanna propose It's something that all of us can learn from this day as much as we tend to criticize the way they commit to employers or to spouses or to having children is that they don't wanna be part of anything that is fake. They want our outsides to match the insides. They would say, if something glitters and it isn't gold, why would you buy it? Why would you do it? Why would you believe it? I love what the different generations of our world can teach us. And today I wanna propose 
that the millennial generation might live into a principle of the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus taught thousands of years ago that we can learn from, and this is what it is. The outside needs to match the inside. And if our actions out here do not match the intentions of our heart, then we should not do them. And so the commitments that we make to our spouses, to our family, to our children, to our parents, to our employers, they need to be commitments that are rooted in belief and passion and intentions of our hearts. How are you with commitment? Are you one of those that as soon as you see something new, you're gonna go all in and just join? Or are you one of those that kind of likes to wait on the periphery, wait until you're sure it's just right and then slowly make your commitment? Or what are you committed to? When people look at your life, would they say, oh, he is one who is committed to his job? Or she is one that is committed to her family? I found this image, it was helpful for me to consider the difference between being engaged or committed. You know, you've seen this before, that the chicken is involved, the pig is committed. But think about, think about the relationships. Am I just involved in my marriage? Am I just, am I just involved at my church or at my school or am I committed to it? What is the intention of my heart? To help us with that, we're going to go continue to look at the Sermon on the Mount. And I want to give you a, a precursor that these are hard texts we're going to read over the next five weeks. I hope you grab the reading guide that Pastor Stacy wrote so that you can wrestle with these outside of the church and send us your questions if you have them. So we get that this is difficult text, but we are not afraid of it. We are surrounded by a loving community and we are before a graceful God. Before we look to the word, let us pray. Gracious and loving God, help us to put on this lens of grace for ourselves, for others. Help us to receive the grace that you have given to us and help us to hear a fresh word, God. Whatever stage of relationship we are in, whether a child or a widow, whether single, married, or divorced, whether happy in our relationships or miserable, may you give us a word of hope and encouragement and direction this day. In Christ's name, amen. We're continuing in Matthew's gospel. Jesus says, you have heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, everyone who looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to go into hell. Then Jesus said, who was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you, anyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of unchastity, causes her to commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. 
Last week, we began our study of the Sermon on the Mount with those nine sayings called the Beatitudes. And in those, we begin to see that Jesus is taking these things that culture says, especially religious culture, and he's turning them upside down. And so he says, the folks that are going to inherit the earth, they're actually the ones that are meek and humble. And the ones who have the kingdom of heaven now are the people that are feeling poor in spirit. He's going to continue to push us to think beyond just what the outer life is showing and what is the intentions of our heart. He turns what does the world say makes a happy and blessed and good life upside down. After the Beatitudes, he goes into and he says these two important statements that you've, you've heard a lot. He says to the disciples, to us, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. You are the salt of the earth. And then the rest of the sermon, he is telling us how to be light and salt. In the beginning of this section, he's going to go through some of the Old Testament law. And he's going to say, you have heard it that was said one thing, but I tell you another thing. And he's turning it upside down. He's making the listener think, what is really the intention behind these laws that we're following? But before that, he makes a very important statement I want to make sure you hear. And it's in the 17th verse. This is what he says. He says, do not think I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish, but to fulfill. This is critically important for us to understand that Jesus doesn't say, because I am walking this earth and because I'm going to offer to you a life of grace, that you're going to take all of that Old Testament law and just throw it out. No, the law is important. What he's going to get to, though, is it's not just about going through the motions of the law. It is about the intentions of our heart. So Jesus spends the next part of his sermon and he tells us how are we going to be salt and light. The first thing he does is he talks about anger. And we're going to talk about anger, which is also addressed again later in the Sermon on the Mount in a few weeks. And then our passage today. So at first blush, when you read it, it appears that Jesus is just reframing the seventh commandment, which is you shall not commit adultery. It is. Jesus doesn't want us to commit adultery. But see, he, he twists it a little because he adds this phrase, I tell you, if you look at a woman with lust, you have committed adultery with her in your heart. And the word that he uses there is very, very important. Because that word, epithumia, is translated in the rest of the New Testament, not as lusting only meaning sexual desire, it's covet. It's really the Greek word for to want something that is not yours. All of us in here would all raise our hands and say, yes, we think that unfaithfulness is wrong in marriage, but how often would we say just coveting something of someone else is wrong in relationships? The 10th the commandment is this. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or male or female slave or ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. You see, Jesus is letting us know a key element to relationships, all relationships, but especially in the context of marriage. 
that coveting and wanting something that is not yours will harm your relationship. Lusting for other people or for the things that other people have will be a stumbling block for your relationships. And he is so serious about this that he uses that really harsh language about cutting off and tearing apart and being thrown into hell. He tells us if our eye or our hand causes us to covet, we should get rid of it. I hope you know when Jesus says this, he doesn't mean it literally. Just as much as the word that he uses there for hell isn't Hades like we think of where there's a place where people, there's fire and a a devil with a pitchfork. Jesus had no concept of a place like that. It's the Greek word Gehenna, which just meant the trash dump outside of Jerusalem. What Jesus means by this is that we cannot keep acting in the same way if we are having things and having the desire for other things that we always have. We must experience transformation. If you watch porn, you will continue to look at other people that are not your spouses in a way that is a coveting manner. If you keep up those relationships with people that whenever you're with them, you feel like you need to remodel your kitchen or you need to change the tutoring program that your teenager is on, At the end of those times hanging out, you just are coveting everything that 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 family has. I think Jesus would say, hang out with people that make you feel worthy just for who you are, for people that love you right where you are. Real relationships are rooted in mutual love and respect, not in coveting what the other person has. The second section of our text addresses divorce. And again, I realize this is tender for many of you in here. I wanna make sure we understand the context. Why would Jesus even bring it up? So in first century, right there on that hillside, there would have been first century Jews and there would have been first century Romans. They are surrounded by a very, very powerful Roman culture. And in Roman culture, divorce was prevalent because it was super easy. It was as easy to get divorced as it was to get married. All that you required was seven witnesses, and then you could just give a certificate. Moses set up in Exodus the law that it was allowable for divorce to happen as long as you gave the wife a certificate of divorce. And Jesus points that out. But what had happened is that if you didn't like the way your wife cooked your dinner, you could give her a certificate of divorce. This is truth. I'm not making this up. And what Jesus is hitting at is that It is about a covenant. This isn't a contract easily to to be broken. This is a commitment that two people have made together. It can't stop just because of feelings stopped for a moment or for opinions differing. Did you know that the U.S. divorce rate has been declining since 2016? Praise God. It's not being attributed to all of this amazing reality TV that's going to teach us how we do relationships better. It's not being attributed to people that go to church staying married. We have the same divorce rate as those that aren't going to church. But one contributing factor is that those that we call millennials that are going to be turning 40, the oldest of them, they are waiting a lot longer to get married. And when they do get married... They don't get divorced as often. One might say the millennials, when they do decide to commit, they don't quit. 
Obviously, Jesus knows that infidel, when an infidelity occurs in marriage, it is extremely hard to remain committed. But we all know that there are non-sexual ways that we are unfaithful to our spouses as well. And in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is not gonna give an exhaustive list of what breaks the law because then it would just be something that we could say yes, no, yes, no. It's never gonna happen here. And neither are we. Your pastors aren't gonna tell you this is the list of how to be a good Christian because living as a disciple of Christ has more to do with aligning what's going on inside your heart into the likeness of Christ more than a list of do's and don'ts. This is not a text that is meant to make folks in here feel real badly when you leave or or feel awful. I don't believe scripture should ever leaving us feel condemned. And and Stacy said earlier, there is only one person that is in a position to judge us. And guess what? He says, you're forgiven. But I do believe that these scriptures that we're going to read and that we read week after week, I do believe that they are meant to transform us and to bring the Holy Spirit within each of us to bring a level of conviction that makes us want to change. See, Jesus told us we needed to be light and salt. And then the very first teachings are, this is how you treat one another. What if just the way we do marriage the way we do relationships with our children, with our parents, what if that's supposed to be the way we're light and salt to the earth? As followers of Jesus, we should be doing it better. We should be light. So is the millennial generation afraid of commitment? No. They're just more cautious about it. They're gonna wait Maybe they fear commitment because they've seen how poorly the generations before them have done it, especially in our commitments to our spouses and our families. Let's commit again today. Let's commit again today to working on transforming that inner life into the likeness of Christ so that we can do our relationships in such a way that we are light and salt in the earth. Let's pray. Gracious and loving God, we thank you that you are always right next to us with loving arms to embrace us, with a hand to push us or pull us sometimes, that your Holy Spirit is within us to give us the strength to follow through in this transformation process. Oh God, this very day, Help us to be more like your son, Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.